Boxeo is back in the building. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns and is ready to knock your block off with another lethal dose of the one drug encouraged by Vada testing agents. Yes, that performance enhancing audio. One week after we brought it to you heavyweight style, the good boys are back together. Just tell your parents, just hi. I come back. Thank you. The Brian Campbell is the voice that you hear. Just about ready to tag in Big Red himself to look back on Deontay Wilder, Bermain Stavern 2 from this past weekend in Brooklyn, and look ahead to Saturday's HBO card from Long Island, and we'll have guests related to that card. Unbeaten heavyweight Jarrell Big Baby Miller and matchroom sport promoter Eddie Hearn, who may or may not be ready to take over America. We're also going to ask Eddie about the possibility of that heavyweight super fight next year. Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, you don't want to miss but before we make the audio magic happen let me remind you about your role in this podcast if you hear something today that you like if you see something say something head on over to apple podcast subscribe rate review heck give a you know give us some glad tidings and spread that word on social media using the hashtag in this corner but now it's time to bring in the better half of this dynamic duo a man who stands up in life for the things that matter to him and the things that matter to him involve cruising. He is world-renowned editor, writer, Filipino TV star, and just lover of that division just south of the heavyweights. I'm talking about my man and yours. When we're frozen to Cruising was made for box. Respect was made for box. I love it when we're cruising together. Big Red, uh, we, a little later in the week, we're hitting them up with the show today, but man, we gotta talk. We gotta talk heavies. We gotta talk things. How is it on the left coast? Oh, you know, can't complain. The weather's pretty good. Not too cold. I know, you know, a lot different from what y'all are experiencing, but, uh, I can handle it. All right, all right. It's not quite yet to get to the next round of the World Boxing Super Series. So as much as people want to hear our karaoke, they want to hear the next installment on the, you know, on the, uh, they love it when we cruise together. They want to hear our next single. All that stuff is coming today, though. We talk about heavies. We look ahead to next weekend. Hey, we got three great guests. We got a lot of things going on, Rafe B. So, Rafe, before we get there, though, is there anything else going on in boxing? I don't. I don't really think there is. Right? It's a little bit of a dead period. I got one question. One little question for you. One. What's 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 this Dana White stuff? Like, that, you well, you that, understand that, a little bit more about MMA than I do in UFC. You know him. You you you're like you actually pay attention to his day to day. What is he? Is he, it's, is this just kind of like a play that if you know more UFC fighters want to cross over, he will make sure he gets a cut of it by registering as a promoter in various states, or is there a, a bigger something in the works? You read my mind. That's exactly where I was going to go next. We know Dana had been teasing this for a while, right? Wore the Zufa boxing t-shirt at two of the four stops of the Mayweather-McGregor fight on the press tour in July, leading to that August super fight. Now, Rafe, the news, this what he told the LA Times on Tuesday was that 100% he's getting into boxing and he's in the process of obtaining a promoter's license and it will be with the UFC. So it's very interesting, Rafe. What does that mean? Well, it means boxing's not dead, first of all, right? Like 2017, like it's a renaissance year. We back, baby. We back. But it also means a lot more than that, Rafe. I mean, this has been... 
a bad year for the UFC. Like they just had UFC 217 last week, and I was there at the Garden. Maybe the best card ever. Incredible. It's going to sell over a million. The live gate was the third biggest live gate in MSG history. All that's good. But that's the only card this year, basically, outside of John Jones's return that has been on this level. It's been a down year. Coming off of that record-breaking year last year where they had five pay-per-views of a million or more. And you know what Dana White peddled to the media last week, Rafe? He's basically like, you guys don't know what the F you're talking about. This is the best year in financial history for the UFC. Finally, I think it was Ioli in the front rows. Like, are you counting the Mayweather numbers in that, by the way? And of course he was, Rafe. Of course he was. Because outside of Mayweather McGregor, it's been a really bad year for the UFC. And Dana countered, well, Connor would have been in the cage twice if he didn't take that fight. Blah, blah, blah. Okay? The point is this, though, Rafe. One, boxing's back. Two, even Dana White is waking up to realize that, like, you can make a certain level of money in boxing on the highest level that you really just can't consistently in the UFC, right? Like, you, that's just, it's, it's a wild west. It's a broken sport. But the one percenters are still really cashing in. So the fact that you know, Rafe, that Dana came from boxing, he was a struggling gym owner and trainer and manager, right, wanted to turn around and save the sport of UFC and MMA and, and, and create the UFC, save the sport of MMA, and make it do all the things boxing wasn't doing. He's got a lot of money right now after the UFC sale last year, reportedly pocketing $400 million after he gave up his most of his ownership share. You know, Rafe, to make it work in boxing promotion, you got to be willing to waste a lot of money, right? He's a boxing fan. Like, I think it's all coming together. It's not like a retreat in saying MMA isn't working. I think it's just like capitalism. Like, I, he loves boxing, and there are opportunities in this sport. Right. Yeah. No, it's like you see money out there. Might as well go grab some of it. Right. Why? Why let uh, whoever, whatever other promoter or manager, whoever you want to call it, scoop all that up when uh, when you think you can go out there and make some of it for yourself. And I wonder if that means, though, Rafe, because your question you know, off the start was like, well, what does this mean? Does this mean it's just going to be an avenue or an open door? Should like heavyweight champion in UFC, Stipe Miocic, want to fight? You know, he's, he's been wanting to fight Joshua. Jose Aldo, the former featherweight champion, wanted to fight Cotto. Is it just that? Well, I think it's maybe that, but I also think it's there's probably something to the idea that Conor McGregor still wants to fight. You know, Paulie Malignaggi is trying to do as many interviews as he can, saying that there's been talks that he wants this. You know, so I believe that's probably the case. I think Conor's more likely to come back to UFC next, but I think boxing continuation. If UFC made the the upwards of forty to fifty million, like had been reported or, or thought from the Mayweather McGregor fight, just for being the co-promoter, just for basically allowing Conor to do it. And Connor's still young and still wants to do that. Like, obviously, they're like, let's just keep cashing in. And if we have our own guys who can do some crossover fights, like, let's do it. Like, it's just – it seems to make sense. Short-term financially, Rafe, it seems to make sense. But you as boxing guy, do you see any future where Dana White and UFC tipping their toes in the water could – because they have a strong history of knowing how to sell – could actually cut into this market like are they going to be a play is there any like is there any opening for them to because it feels like so many people have tried and failed in this game right yeah it is anytime someone new tries to enter the scene it, it, no matter how deep their pockets are or what reputation they're bringing into it you usually just assume they're going to flounder because it's such a tough business and all the and it's and it's just it's a you know you're diving into a shark tank with uh with with you know, fewer uh, resources and connections than a lot of the competitors, and they just eat you alive until you say, ah, this is not for me. Uh, outside of sort of the way that I guess we've seen Al Heyman become such a big player in the sport, and and he really built that slowly. I mean, we, you know, I mean, to go 
all the way back to Vernon Forrest, right? Um, you know, there aren't too many people who have been successful. I, he's really one of the only people who sticks out like that. Um, I, again, we don't know because we don't know what UFC and Dana White are planning here. Are they, I mean, would they create a UFC boxing division like on the side of their, on the, on the side of the MMA stuff they run? It does, I don't know why they would necessarily, but it's not, I mean, it's not impossible. I mean, and maybe so they would be able to get fighters who are interested in doing that. Uh, I, that, I mean, could, boxing what? always morphs and changes, right? It's sort of like it has no form. It has no head. And that's sort of the, the why, you know, that's sort of why the famous Larry Merchant quote makes sense. You can't, you know, it, it won't ever die. You can't kill it. It will always be there. It'll always be sick. Well, yeah, um, like shout out to us as Boxeo guys. Like we're not dead. We're so not dead that even our, you know, quote unquote competitors want to play ball. But reality is this, like the UFC is really good at promotion, at marketing, at selling. They got a system. They have dedicated fans. They've, they, they've always been ahead of the game on social media, all that stuff. Rafe, is there a way outside of just the idea of, okay, they want to co-promote McGregor and anyone else that wants to jump over? Like, what's the – are they an appealing option if they want to bring just actual boxers under their their wings just, just simply because they have a history of promotion? Like, that's got to mean something. You know what I mean? Like, that's got to be an attractive part of it. But, you know, Lance Pugmire of the LA Times broke this story on Tuesday. He had the quotes because Dana White w- was showing up at Freddie Roach's gym to do some kind of Q&A sit-down with Peter Berg, the movie director, producer, longtime boxing fan. And one thing that was really interesting about what White, White said was Pugmire asked him specifically, are you guys coming in to be promoters on your own? Or are you coming in to partner with other people? And he asked him specifically, are you going to partner you know, with the PBC who has over 200 fighters and doesn't use one specific promoter each fight? He said, Al and I haven't spoken yet, basically blah, blah, blah. But let's not forget, Rafe, you know, Dana just taught like wax poetically on how amazingly easy it was for him to negotiate with Heyman and Mayweather, calling them both businessmen. Is this the missing link of how Zufa Boxing or whatever you want to call it is going to work if they are the front face of PBC? Because the only thing PBC hasn't done great is promote themselves, right? I mean, like it's it's a it's they're great at acquiring talent, but is this like the dream missing partnership that could make this like a gigantic success? Yeah, the uh, the entire sort of Heyman crew of of fighters, all of the guys he manages, uh, have sort of hopped around from promoter to promoter, almost like seeking a new host every time. And uh, you could you could see the UFC becoming that host for some period of time if. The history we've seen teaches us anything over the last few years. It's that that relationship will probably come and go and and Al Heyman and the fighters he manages will move on to the next promoter at some point in time, depending on whatever, you know, conditions in the business make that the most, you know, prudent decision for them when the time comes. But yeah, and and, and I do think that for Dana White and the UFC to make this decision, they must have something lined up. This is not something you they just decide to do because hey wouldn't that be fun that looks like we might be able to do something there they they have a plan there's gonna have to we'll just see how they start executing it and that's that's the key when you have really smart people who have a track record then you have to trust that they kind of know what they're doing and they have a plan although we kind of trusted that about the pbc though and i don't know if they really had maybe they did maybe their plan all along was to just continue to have showtime pay a lot of money to, to put on fights and it's working right i mean who knows we're not in the business side rafe we're just crusty all right, we're just we're just crusty people. I mean, that's it. I it's I I'm not I'm not I'm not mad at that. You know, it's okay to be crusty. All right, all right. Before we get into the uh, important parts of this week, and then look ahead to next week, Rafe. 
I wanted to give a shout out on this podcast to one of our longtime listeners. His name is Ulrich Anderson. He is from Denmark. He is a high-level sports journalist for that country's largest newspaper publication, Rafe. He's also one of our big fans going back to the ropes days. He knows, like Alex Godinez, how many people were in the stadium that night for Frotch and Groves. 80,000 at Wembley Stadium, perfectly on George Groves' chin and flattened him in front of 80,000 fans at Wembley Stadium. He knew, Alex Godinez knows that. Ulrich Anderson knows that. But Ulrich sent me some sound he, that he didn't think I had heard, and I hadn't heard it. After Anthony Joshua beat Carlos Takam two weeks ago inside Millennium slash Principality Stadium, whatever you want to call it, he was there, meaning Carl Frotch, on the broadcast, and they interviewed him afterwards in an empty arena and basically were like, you know, you impressed by the by this night? I don't think the fans missed out on anything at home, but it was... Does this remind you of anything? This is a great stadium, isn't it? It's amazing with the roof shot. Not quite 80,000 though, was it, tonight? <laughs> no wonder, was it? What was it, 76, 77? It's great though, isn't it? I mean, look how, look how much boxing's moved on. And, and it's... I mean, come on, that's... that's Shout out to Ulrich Anderson. That is gold right there. Not quite 80,000, is it, huh? I mean, come on, that is such, like, yes, yes, not quite, no. But you know what, Carl Frotch, uh, you know, we talked about in the past when Joshua Fury finally happens. Carl Frotch and George Groves' Hello Kitty tattoo is going to be removed from the history books, Rafe. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, that, that seems like a, a likelihood. What did, uh, what did the Vladimir Klitschko fight do? That didn't, that didn't get up there? I thought they, I thought they, they shattered all records. Oh, wasn't with that, that 90K? I don't know. I think These inflated I mean, numbers. This is this is this is Joshua's fault for not for not uh, you know playing up the number if if so. Yeah, but seriously, Carl Frotz needs to like market this. Like Floyd's got the T the TBE and all that. Like we should have hats that just say eighty k. How eighty k aw- shirts? You know what? I don't know what Alex Godinez does for a living. I don't know the guy, despite the fact that he he can play one joke really long and hard, like a, like a James Bag Junior. And I'm all for that long and hard. That's what I'm talking about. Tyrone but, style, but I, Tyrone style. But but really, what I'm what I'm trying to say. Tyrone style. Yeah, we have Tyrone style. But really, what I'm trying to say <laughs> is, come on, Carl Frutch, get ahead of this. Like if when I wear a black hat with eighty k and white in the front, you better believe I would like. This is like, come on. The right. merchandising opportunities for the Cobra here are pretty good. I mean, all of all, of, there's a lot of good frotchisms, you know. It's like, what was the the thing he said during the, the like the 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 what, what's the the British version of face off that Johnny Nelson oh, does that, with yeah. those guys? I don't know what it's uh, called, but the, it's the gloves are off or something. Where he where where Groves tries to mess with the handshake and pull him in. He's like, oh, you want to give a little tug? I can give a tug. <laughs> you know, I mean. It, you know the man's a legend. You know I, I remember after I remember after let's let's just go into all the greatest hits. Uh, you know I remember after he he beat uh, Lucian Boutet. You know that great fifth round TKO. You know he's like he's like yeah he hits quite hard, but I'm I'm quite tough myself. You know it's just like it, you know it's just big. You know him and Rocco and Rachel and the family. You just gotta you, you get you gotta tip your hat to tip it to him. Tip your 80k hat to them for sure, Brian. Uh, yes. I think we need to uh, talk about a fight that occurred over the weekend before we get out of uh, out of hand here. Yes, before we get too many minutes, before we start talking about how we actually feel about each other. I love you. I make you a bad. No, no, no. We don't. We don't. We don't need to go. We don't need to go in that direction. Uh, Rafe Saturday in Brooklyn, part two, part duh. It was Deontay Wilder destroying 
Bermain, Berman, beware, Stavern. Hey, Stavern, beware of taking two years off and then coming in 16 pounds heavier than you did the first time around. Holy cow. It's like two narratives here, Rafe. One narrative is Wilder never looked that good, never looked that dangerous, never looked that nasty. Like that guy right there can be a worldwide star. Forget America. Part two is Stavern was really fat and really slow and did not want to be there. Where are you going with this? I mean, it was, there's just no, there is nowhere to go. You, we, we're always trying to, to, to like grasp at the straws in, in, uh, in boxing and say, you know, what did this mean? What did we learn from this? I have no clue. There's no way to, to say what any, there's nothing to learn. You know, it was, it was impressive. It was a big knockout. We learned, but, but against, against who? Against what? Against who? Uh, against I just, who? I don't, against who? Against who? Brian, there's just no way to really uh, evaluate it. And uh, so it's just, you know, hopefully whether it turns, whether it's Anthony Joshua sometime soon, like Deontay Wilder is calling him out for, you know, early or mid 2018. Um, or if it's just another one of these high quality heavyweights, guys who who do present a challenge to Wilder and hopefully can stay clean for a training camp. Uh, we'll get to see him in a real fight because I don't, I still don't know if we ever have. That's the problem. Like, as good as he looked, the, the narrative is the same. We don't know if he's good. We don't know if Deontay Wilder can really take a punch. Like, we were supposed to learn that in the first Stavern fight, right? All we know is that, like, Eric Molina kind of half-wobbled him. We don't know anything about him, so now you get, we're frustrated. Well, he's really frustrated, but the thing is, Rafe, really frustrated Deontay Wilder is really fun in the ring. I mean, did you see the explosion? Did you see almost the weird way he would set up his punches? He'd like take a step backwards and then lean right in with that long one-two. Like nobody's getting up from that, right? Like Zelenoff, nobody, nobody's getting up from that. Like that version is sick and nasty. I have to say, for as like absurd as the fight was on Saturday, it took my already large excitement level for Joshua Wilder when we do finally see it. And really just brought it to another level. Like full mask, pitch the tent. Like I am fired up, Rafe. Yeah, I mean, that, that is the one thing. We aren't necessarily used to seeing Wilder just come out aggressive and take it and, and throwing the jab as hard as he did and, and then deciding that he, you know, that, that Stavern had nothing for him that night and he could just move in and, and start kind of showboating and, and really doing some pretty stuff there. Uh, it's that's that's cool and i and i think that you know he's both wilder and joshua are both they look better to me when they're try when they be when they're not trying to prove that they're they really know how to box you know they know a little bit how to box and they're athletic guys and they can protect themselves but i feel like when they really try and and exercise the sweet science they both you know you see their flaws when they are when they're aggressive and and obviously being aggressive is going to open them up and maybe get them hurt in 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 fights uh against each other against other guys but when they're aggressive that's when they you really see like the talent the holy crap this guy is some this guy is serious cuz when they start putting that pressure on they're so big so strong so fast that even a more schooled fighter might not be able to handle it probably won't be able to handle it no doubt like no doubt about it like that's the pure amazing thing about heavyweight boxing right i mean it's just like it doesn't matter if a guy can't go 12 rounds if he's scary and nobody can figure him out and he can walk in there like it's like prime early tyson right like it makes it so much more fun and dynamic and i uh, just really like again this this development saturday made me even more excited about the division even if it made that broadcast kind of 
absurd, and even if it made a lot of things. What, I didn't get a chance to see, though, Rafe, and maybe you can actually be the professional on the show and tell me that co-main event, Sean Porter, Adrian Granados, I was at Madison Square Garden that night for UFC 217, haven't been able to run it back. What did we learn from that fight? It was another Sean Porter fight, you know. It was rough. Uh, it was Granados fought well. It was actually he he actually was more comfortable on the inside uh, and just being a, a rugged fighter than a lot of the guys we have seen uh, Sean Porter against in in recent years. Just because Porter's been fighting on such a, such a high level against guys who often are slicker boxers and and are uncomfortable with the way that he just gets in that gets in that ass, so to speak. Whoa, whoa, hold um, on a second. You know, I thought Triple G was getting in that ass. James Fox was right, you know? Um, but, uh, but so, and, and this was interesting because it was a guy who was more, uh, Granados is just more comfortable with that kind of fight, fought pretty well, but, but still couldn't really match the physicality and strength of Porter. Another Porter fight, you know, it's a good, good to keep him active and, and you kind of tip your hat to him because he's out there making fights against a lot of the good guys, right. uh, at 147 on that Heyman side. He's fought, he's almost done the rounds now. If he gets Danny Garcia, that'll be kind of like, and I guess Errol Spence at some point, those are the only guys at the top of that level that, that he hasn't fought yet. Uh, and of course, probably going to set up a, uh, uh, rematch with, uh, with Keith Thurman maybe next year. I would. Uh, even though that Keith Thurman, the first fight was fantastic, and even though I would think the second one could be awesome. I could live without it, but yes, I feel like it's gonna I happen. Summed it up. I could live without it, and I'd, I'd, I really want to see DSG, you know, in a big fight again coming off of the first loss against Thurman. I mean, this seems like the loser. I mean, obviously it'd be better if Garcia had fought since he lost to Thurman and had sort of had his rebound fight against a Herrera Salka somewhere in the, in between those two frames of reference, right? Like somewhere in the middle there, uh, to, to kind of, I mean, we've seen him against too many of those types. What was that name of that guy? He, he beat in the fight before Thurman, some shlubby just, just knocked the, the, knocked the heck out on, on PBC. Samuel oh, Vargas, Why? was that the right name? Oh, not, not Sammy Vargas. Maybe Samuel Powers, maybe Screech, uh, someone like that, you know? Screech. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, come on, you know, just stop that crap. Yeah, stop, stop it. it. Stop, stop that crap. Uh, uh, Brian, so, so like what, going, but, but like talking about the, the whole Wilder, Anthony Joshua stuff, do you, do you, are you in the camp that says make this fight now? I don't care where it is. Make it now. Make it happen. Or, or are you willing to, are, are you okay with some marination on this? It's hard because you don't want to commit to a, to a marinate, even though what two weeks ago or last week on the show, I said, it's not ready yet. It's going to die on pay-per-view. You need to get to build to get there. So I still kind of believe that. Although Wilder, like I said, he did escalate my excitement level. Uh, I think we do need to see it to close 2018. Let me just live on that. All right. Now that, that unless. Tyson Fury really is getting back into shape. And unless Eddie Hearn and Joshua are building toward Tyson for the end of 2018, they're saying, look, Tyson, we give you a year, right? In between, we're going to fight another mandatory. We're going to do whatever. We give you a year. And that puts us off to Joshua Wilder May 2019 or whatever, February, whatever. Heavyweights don't seem to work on the Floyd Mayweather, Canelo Alvarez, May, September schedule, right? Um it's probably better for the matchup. It probably is, Rafe. It's probably better for the matchup. Obviously, the fear is that Wilder fights too good of a guy in between and gets solved. But at the same time, if you're Wilder, you should be fighting guys too good in between, right? Like, you should not be fighting Johan Duhapis. So maybe, in a weird way, Fury coming back, if he does, would be the best thing for the division to properly set up. Wilder Joshua and I know that there's a whole other argument to that be like Campbell like stop you want to put it off a year like in a, a year and a quarter like what's wrong with you guy in in to some degree it's like yeah I'd rather see it too soon than too late Rafe 
too sweet, right? Come on. I, I just. Well, I'll tell you the thing that I like about I, I, the thing that I wouldn't mind seeing is one of these guys go to the other man's house, go to the other guy's country yes. and knock somebody out just because that even though, you know, yes, there's the whole make it now. Don't wait, you know, because that that we've seen that backfire so many times in boxing. But if you're building that storyline that that's a nice selling point. That is a, you know, yes. whether I know that Wilder has, has basically said that he won't take that Dylan White fight that that Eddie Hearn has been uh, supposedly pushing on them. Yeah, why is Dylan um, Hurd like the like Dylan Dylan Hurd, Dylan White like the gatekeeper to get to Joshua now? I he could be the Birdo to uh to Joshua yes. Floyd, you oh, know. Great the, the, the road to Joshua leads through Dylan White. Um I don't know, Dylan White, you know, he he fought Joshua well, you know, he he hurt he he sort of fought back, you know, hurt Joshua when when they fought before eventually getting knocked out. Has looked decent ever since. Kind of is put himself, you know, he sells a fight well, he's a pretty good talker. I see why they they like that option for him. Probably also figure uh, maybe it's a way to get him a payday without having to, you know, where he, I, I don't think I would favor him against Wilder, but it's a good payday and they don't have to feed him to, to AJ again, which already happened. They, they only have so many options there. Um, I don't know. I, 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 but something like that would be dramatic for, for, for Wilder to say, okay, I don't, I don't think I should be fighting this guy because I think I'm ready for the bigger challenge. And I think I'm ready for, you know, the, the, the ultimate test, but fine. This is how you all want it. I will come there, go in there, knock the guy out in dramatic fashion. And then, you know, basically do the Conor McGregor, jump on the cage, throw stuff on, on Aldo, whatever the heck he, you know, really play that up. Go, you know, go get his, bring a new chinchilla in the Union Jack jacket you know like <laughs> full-on crazy outfit screaming it while and screaming at joshua from the ropes after it go full charlo on this guy you know I, uh, yeah i'm down with you i mean uh, it's just fun it's a good the, the bottom line the good news is it's fun no matter what happens whether they shoot their load too quick and, and make it too soon ray for they you know they they really book it over the over the long haul and really make it fun to get there everything you said was correct i am on board i can't wait to ask eddie hearn and we confront him shortly, what he's going, what his plans are, how soon we can make this, what is the deal. But, Rafe, that is the proper transition to get into our interviews ahead of Saturday's HBO card. And we begin, Rafe, with the man of the hour, Matchroom Sports' Eddie Hearn. Look, there's been a lot of debate through the years, Rafe. Is he ropes approved? Would he would he bro out with us? Would he wear waistcoats with us? Could we share a a, a tall one with that bloke? Rafe, they say for 6'8", he stood, right? Close enough, 6'7". I mean, you know, he's our guy. Well, now he's stepping into our ropes. You fired up for this or what? I was born ready, Brian. If you listen to the show, you know how pumped up we are to finally talk with the man, Eddie Hearn, boxing promoter, the man who may or not, may or may not be ready to take over America. We're going to find that out in a second. May or may not be ready to save <laughs> boxing. All right, Eddie, I'm, I'm fluffing you up too much. You're promoting Saturday's card, HBO Daniel Jacobs, Luis Arias, and the main event from Uniondale, New York. Eddie, pleasure to have you on here. Let's talk straight up off the top. You're going to take this country over and make boxing proper? What's happening here? Well, listen, I'm ready. Are you ready for me? Oh, well, I got a <laughs> three. I got a waistcoat on right now. I got a three-piece suit. I'm ready for you, Eddie. Come on. Hashtag oh, earn oh, with Hearn. That means, you're, that means you're ready for one of my shows. That means you're ready to have a great night out, dress up, have a great time, watch some great boxing. You sound like my kind of guy. But uh, listen, it's not, you know, we're not naive enough to think that 
we're going to walk straight in and, and start dominating US boxing. But we have a great model in the UK. You know, it's been very successful for us. And we're excited by the challenge here in America. The first show on Saturday, November the 11th, NASCAR Coliseum, live on Sky, Sky Sports in the UK, HBO in, in the US, of course. And uh, very excited to see what the future holds. Absolutely. Eddie, uh, you, you mentioned, I remember, when you guys first announced this news of working with Danny Jacobs and beginning to promote over here in the United States, that, you know, of course, Jacobs has this amazing story, overcoming cancer, coming back, becoming a, you know, winning a title again. Uh, the, the question, I guess, is, you know, I remember you saying you thought that you could do a better job telling that story than than he'd had already. Uh, what I mean, how how can you? You know, that's a story that we know, but how how have you been able to sort of uh, increase the knowledge of that among fans and stuff? Well, certainly for for a wider audience and um, through wider access to the audience. I mean, already you know the build up on HBO has been great. He had his own show on the Saturday night broadcast just after the Bivol fight. Um, of, of his story, his documentary, My Fight, running it across social, digital platforms as well. And, you know, this is a story that, it's not a new story, but it's, it's an everlasting story. And you can never tell it for long enough or to, to, to too few people because, you know, ultimately it is a great story. It's inspirational. But you know, we've come at the, the late stages of Danny Jacobs' career. And obviously the easiest way to build a fighter is at the early stages. But... When you have a fighter as good as Danny Jacobs with the story, with the personality, with the look, and the way he fights in the ring as well, it's kind of easy work, to be honest with you. And, uh, and I feel like there's too many fighters in America that aren't getting the activity um, they deserve, that aren't getting the profile and the promotion that they deserve as well. And I think fighters are suffering in and out of the ring because of that as well. So you know, hopefully we can change that model. We can give fighters activity. You know, every, every major fighter should be boxing three times a year, in my opinion. And some of them are boxing once, if that. So we want to switch that up, change things up, bring a fresh approach and start driving the names of these these guys. Um, you know, and, and ultimately, you know, we, we I had an interview today. It was quite funny out on the streets of New York. We were just outside the Mendez gym. And I was talking about Deontay Wilder. You know, I said, you've got a guy here who's a great fighter. Um, you know, he talks fantastically well. He, he looks great. He's very exciting to watch. And he's American. And he is the heavyweight champion of the world. I said, we could walk around these streets all day asking people who Deontay Wilder is. Every time my money would be on them not knowing who he was. We asked, I don't know, five or six people. Not one of them knew who he was. You know, young men, ladies, older guys. And, and this is a problem with boxing in America. You know, you don't have standout personalities and superstars. Well, I, I take that back. You do have them but they just aren't being turned into stars. And, and you know, promote, promoting fighters is tough to do. But when you have the product, there's no excuse for not turning them into stars. And, and you know, I think there's a number of fighters out there that, that aren't getting a fair crack of the whip. Well, it's interesting all the things you just said there, because boxing in America, despite this being a renaissance year, if you will, quote-unquote, whatever, it's a great year for boxing. We'll leave it at that. Boxing in America is a broken political system. It drives fans crazy. Promoters won't work with each other. Networks will barely work with each other. Yet you're splashing the pot. You're on both HBO and Showtime, and somehow you took an Al Heyman fighter and got him over HBO, which was kind of considered a no-no. How are you, is this part of your plan to just blow up all the crap that we deal with? Because as boxing fans and journalists, we don't always trust American boxing promoters. They're like car salesmen. Like we, it's mm. like snake oil. 
How are you going to come yeah, in we're here? All just... glorified. We're all glorified car salesmen. I mean, that's True. what we are, you know. But, but ultimately, um, I can't be bothered. I'm not interested in all the crap. I mean, you know, boxing makes you very bitter as a business. It's a terrible business to be involved with. It can make you very bitter and twisted. Maybe I'm young enough that that hasn't happened to me yet. I mean, can you imagine the Eddie Hearn voodoo dolls that are out this weekend <laughs> hoping that my show is a complete disaster? You know, so someone come up to me today and said, oh, we've heard Dana White's getting into boxing. You know, it hasn't gone down well with promoters, blah, blah, blah. What's your thoughts? I said, I think it's absolutely brilliant for boxing. Why wouldn't you want a guy who's revolutionized the sport, you know, through the UFC and MMA to start becoming involved in boxing, raising the profile of the sport? You only really, you only really are bitter and stressed and, and you know, revolt if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't think you can compete. So for me, I mean, look at our show this Saturday. We're working with Rock Nation, Golden Boy, Dimitri Salita, Greg Cohen, Star Boxing, Joe DeGuardia. I don't care who I deal with. If, if It means making the fights that people want to see. If it, may, if it means developing as a business, if it means developing the sport of boxing, I don't care if you like me, you hate me. We don't have to be friends to work together to do good business. Yes. So for me, I'm open to work with absolutely everybody and, and anybody, you know, to progress our business, to progress our fighters and to progress the sport of boxing. Rafe, you know okay. what that sounds like, Rafe? That sounds like hashtag earn with Hearn. That sounds like a model uh, business plan right there. Exactly. That's a big hashtag in the UK, by the way. Earn we're, we're, you know, and, well, and hopefully I'm it spreads. Yeah. As well. Hashtag um, earn with Hearn. That's it. And, and Eddie, I wanted to follow up. Um, just how, um, I guess, you know, so far in, in coming over to the States, do you feel like maybe having a little bit of that outsider perspective allows you to not have some of the, you know, the long grudges and feuds that we see between domestic uh, promoters and allows you to sort of cut through some of that nonsense and just get straight down to business? And also just in general so far, what has been something about, uh, you know, promoting working in the boxing business here in the States that's been difficult or more difficult than you expected so far? I think, you know, answering your questions, firstly, I've dealt with American boxing promoters for years and years and years. I've known Lou DeBella since I was eight years old. Um, you know, I've dealt with Golden Boy on a number of major fights, K2, uh, Top Rank, Al Heyman, uh, you know, throughout the last five, six years, and obviously our business throughout the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, maybe I'm just, you know, not as... A, I kind of feel like I felt when I went into the UK market. You know, everyone was behind me. The public were behind me. But in the game, they prayed for my failure. So we overcame that in the UK and, and we won. You know, we've still got a long way to go, but maybe maybe one is the wrong word. We're winning. And, you know, I'm still fresh again coming to the US. I, I don't have any grudges. I don't have any you know negativity. I only have positivity for the sport and what we're trying to do. In terms of the barriers, in terms of the difficulty, it's really working with the regulations and, and the commissions, um, setting up the you know the new business and you know Dimitri Salita and those guys have been very important to our development in learning and also dealing with the commissions and, and licensing and, and stuff like that. Like I said, I'm not naive enough to think we can just waltz in and take control, um, but that's the long-term plan. Whether that takes six months, a year, three years, or five years, that's what we want to achieve as a business. So there's going to be barriers and you know. We would have rather have been in the heart of New York probably this week than down in Long Island. But that's where we are. And we've got a great event. We're expecting a great crowd. 
and you know I think it's going to be a great show. All right, well, Eddie, Daniel Jacobs, a big part of Matchroom USA becoming a big thing. Great pickup for you, but Matchroom Sport here, the face is Anthony Joshua. This guy is probably the biggest star of the sport, the unbeaten unified heavyweight champion. Uh, holy crap, Eddie, 78,000 to break the indoor stadium record, you know, 90,000 to, to beat Vladimir Klitschko. They're going to make us forget about Carl Frotch in, uh, in 80,000 pretty quick, right? 80,000 to Wembley Stadium. They're going to make us forget about that soon. I mean, how, what's the real potential here with AJ? Like, what do you really have here? Well, we have the biggest star in world boxing, but we have one of the biggest stars in British sport. Phenomenon in boxing, you know, to... To deliver a hundred and nearly one hundred and seventy thousand uh, gate over a five-month period, incredible. And you know we have the most exciting heavyweight in world boxing. Deontay may argue with me, but you know I feel like we have um, the ultimate ambassador, the ultimate brand, and the ultimate star in Anti Joshua as well. And also, people forget now this is a guy who, you know, he has had twenty fights. Okay, in his sixteenth fight. He challenged for the world heavyweight title and he beat Charles Martin. In his 19th fight, he unified the division against Vladimir Klitschko. He's being thrown in. He's challenging himself time and time again before his time. You know, when others before him have taken six and eight rounders to pad their record to 30 and 0, you know, he was the guy who said, no, I feel as though I'm ready for this. So, you know, great news to fight fans that you have a fighter in Anthony Joshua who is willing, ready, and prepared to take on everybody. And, you know, the goal in 2018 is to pick up every single belt and, to be- and become undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. All right, so we, Eddie, well, well, let me just chuck a comment in for a second. You mentioned Wilder. You know, he, he doesn't want your plan. He, he We know that he thinks you're a liar. We know that he thinks you don't want to make that fight. Here's real quick a great promo he recently cut on you guys. Anthony Josh, you know I'm coming for you. Ain't no need to talking about next year and the next year after that or 2020. 2018 is what you should be worrying about. You said if the people want it, then you want it. Well, the people want it. Do you? Or do y'all have some hidden agendas? Are y'all hiding anything? We're on it. We're on it. So either fight or shut up. Wow, wow, Eddie Hearn. You got hidden agendas. You got the Illuminati going uh, in the behind the scenes. What's happening here? You're going to make this fight? <laughs> apparently, apparently so. I was laughing with Anthony yesterday. Because we were trying to find, we we're trying to get our heads around how long exactly we've been running for, as Deontay <laughs> says. Like, he's just boxed his mandatory. We boxed our mandatory. They've never made us an offer. They've never made a phone call to make the fight. And yet, apparently, we're running, we're scared of the fight. So, Anthony said, reach out to their team, which I have done, by the way, a couple of times. The only person making the approaches on this fight is us. We will meet with Shelley Finkel and Al Heyman in, in uh, New York tomorrow and see what the deal is. You know, one of the biggest problems is, is you know, if we were to offer Deontay his true value in the fight, then it would never get done. So, we'll have to overpay Deontay Wilder like we have done with various Anthony Joshua opponents. I mean, don't forget, you know, probably Anthony Joshua's last opponent, Carlos Takam, probably had a very similar purse to Deontay Wilder for the last defense of his world title. Joshua is making seven, eight times the purse of Wilder at the moment. So we will have to overpay Deontay, but we will have to find a middle ground between reality and fantasy. 
to make this fight happen. But we must make it happen in 2018. It is the greatest and the biggest and the best matchup in world boxing right now, unquestionably. So, you know, Anthony wants the biggest fights. He wants all the belts. And to do that, he's going to have to go through Deontay Wilder. And that's what I kind of wanted to ask you a bit about, uh, Eddie, is, you know, there has been, especially here among U.S. fans, this, this sort of demand that, that an Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder fight happen soon, maybe next. I mean, they, they, I heard, I heard one of the podcasts where they, you know, they, they, Deontay sort of called in and ambushed you and, and tried to put you on the spot even. Mm. Um, the question, I guess, is, uh, would, you know, what's, Forget all that he said. He said about who called who when and and who's actually trying. Like that's that's business for you guys to you know to handle behind the scenes, really. But what in what's the ideal progression on your end? How would you like to see Anthony Joshua's career go over the next year, leading to a Deontay Wilder fight? Well, from a fight perspective, we're more than happy to take the Deontay Wilder fight next. From a commercial perspective. That fight gets bigger and bigger and bigger the longer that we wait, but we can't wait too long. Someone could get beat. The fight becomes a little bit stale. Someone doesn't look as good as they have been. Looking. So, you know, people ask me, do you think that fight will happen in March? I don't know. We're coming up to December. You know, I have to be honest and say I think it's unlikely to happen in March. Could it happen in the summer? Absolutely. Could it happen in the fall? Absolutely. But if the right deal presents itself, we will take that fight next. But, you know, I mean, you guys have even got enough experience to know that these super fights, you know, we've never even discussed the fight. Not one conversation. So now we begin. And tomorrow could be all positive. It could be all negative. It could be a bit of both. But good news for the fight fans is we're talking. The camps are talking. And you will see that fight in 2018. All right. I love that. That's a headline. I'm going to f- hang up on this podcast in a minute and write that headline. That's what we want to hear. But, Eddie, there's a you wild. You will see the fight. You have to. You have to. There's a wild card in this equation, Eddie Hearn, and you've talked about the man himself, all six foot nine of them. I can lay just to see. I mean, you know what I'm talking about here. We, as boxing fans, need this man back in there. And he could mess up Deontay Wilder's fans because, as you know, AJ versus Tyson Fury is the biggest fight you can make in the sport. It really oh, is, Eddie. We gonna, yeah. How does that figure into this? Can you get Tyson in shape? Can you? What do you have to do here? I think you need to give Tyson motivation. I mean, any fighter who doesn't have a date, who doesn't have a plan, who doesn't have a strategy is an unmotivated fighter. So... If we can present a plan to Tyson, you know, if he wants the Joshua fight, he knows where he's got to be. But I don't think it really disrupts the Wilder plans because Tyson's not going to return till April, May. You know, he's going to want one fight at least before he goes in with Joshua. So, but of course, we want more contenders. You know, the more contenders, the better in the heavyweight division. Tyson Fury back in the sport would be great for the sport, great for the division. And, um, you know, there's other guys. Dillian White, you know, I mean, look at Jarrell Miller. You know, I saw him today, a real character. He's got a really tough fight on Saturday on HBO against Marius Wack. If he beats him, if he looks good, he can start making some noise as well. So, you know, the more the merrier. And, and having Fury and Wilder and Joshua in the school kind of throws it back to the old days, you know, and, and we can really make this division glamorous again. 
And what do you think is, it seems like Tyson Fury has had a really long, uh, he's had a lot of problems trying to get the, the, uh, you know, the British Board of Boxing control. Is that the right term? I, I forget exactly. Yeah, I think he had an issue with the drug test, or suspended license for British Boxing Board of Control. But it seems like those two things are coming to a head now. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think physically it's a lot of work to do. There's no doubt about that. But like I said, if he's motivated, if he's free to box, if he has a date, if he has a plan, I believe he can get in shape. And, you know, like I said, he'd be a welcome uh, addition to the division. Is that a 100K fight? We talk about 80K. We talk about 90K. <laughs> By the way, I don't want to tell you how to mark it, but you may have dropped the ball. Yeah, not, well, not... According to Shetty Finkel, you know, according to Shetty Finkel, he said that just because you see a lot of bubbles on many you necessarily see a lot of dollars. That's because we like to boxing is accessible to the people so but he is right sometimes you can have a gate in vegas for 16 17,000 that generates just as much money if you want to charge astronomical prices so um, that fight can take place anywhere but in terms of wilder joshua but joshua fury is an all british fight that will, will obviously remain in the uk I was going to say, you, you probably dropped the ball not putting out some, like, you know, Floyd Mayweather's got the TBE hats. I'd buy an 80K hat with maybe, like, a Cobra on the side of it. Eddie, yeah, I'm not trying to tell you how to run your business, all right? <laughs> well, we've got 80K for Cobra. We've got 90K for Joshua. You know, we're, we're creating some great memories in the U.K. for boxing right now. All right, Eddie, on Absolutely. the way out, we want to hit, have some fun with you. We want to hit you up here. Sorry to cut you off there, Rafe. A top bloke that you may know, the warlock, they call him, Gareth A. Davis, was on this podcast. He told us a story <laughs> about a young Eddie Hearn whose dad took him in the basement to make him a man and put him in a boxing ring, and they had a little bit of a dust-up. And a young Eddie Hearn may or may not have gone to the body and disciplined dad and said, I'm ready. I'm ready to be a man. Is this a folk story? What is this? This, this is fact. This is, um, my dad's from a rough part of town and, uh, obviously self-made, very successful guy. And I was very lucky to be, you know, brought up through his success. And, you know, he takes the mickey out of me and calls me a silver spoon kid. And he was always worried that I wouldn't have the working class mentality. So, you know, growing up, he said, when you get to 18, I'm going to take you in the gym and we're going to put the gloves on and I'm going to go to work on you to, to show you what it's like, you know, to be in with a real man and to teach you a lesson. Unfortunately for him, by the time I got to 16, I was like six foot, you know, probably like 160 pounds or something like that. So we went at it and he came at me with very small gloves on and grit his teeth and threw some big shots but you know I worked him out to the body and uh, that's what Gareth's talking about I can confirm the truth of this story <laughs> but maybe not the truth of what everything that Gareth Davis says <laughs> um, and and Eddie I have to bring this up I think Brian might be too shy to, to, to mention this right now but he for years has has wondered sort of dreamed and wished that uh that somehow they that you know over in, in the UK they had been able to make a Carl Frotch uh Joe Calzaghi fight oh and, man uh, you know it, it, oh, he, yeah. 
I guess the, a couple things. One, how do you, how would that fight have looked had they, had they actually done it close to their primes? I guess with, with Calzaghe sort of coming down and, you know, at, toward near the end of his career and Frotch rising a little bit. Uh, and also, uh, is there any chance? I mean, these guys are, older but we've seen crazier old guy fights in boxing is there any way you can make that happen come on, can, Eddie. You, can you give us that old guy fight make it happen oh come on i'm good i'm not that good <laughs> i think uh these, these two guys they're definitely done now in the sport of boxing joe calzaghe definitely frock is still lurking around the weight but you know he's had a little bit of work done to his nose and uh, i think he's he's hanging the gloves up but it's always a fight that people talk about. You know, Joe Calzaghe, wow, what a tremendous fighter. Obviously, finished his career undefeated. And Carl Froch is a, a real great servant, a warrior of the sport. So, uh, Carl Froch is a good friend of mine. He's someone I admire incredibly. So, I have to go for the Froch win in that fight. I know Calzaghe will be the favorite. But, you know, with, Cal, with Carl Froch with a bit between his teeth, never bet against him. Wow, wow, that's that's the answer I've wanted to hear forever. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a Joe Cal guy, a slap ha- slap happy guy, but you know, hey, by the way, it's still real to me, Eddie. You want to make that when they're 45, 50? It's still real to me. Damn it, I'm buying the ticket. I'm coming over on the plane. No problem. But Eddie, on the way out here, England is out of yeah. control. You're filling stadiums, all right? You have things that us as American boxing fans wish we had: sold out stadiums, people going nuts. You're lighting letters on fire for AJ. It's a different culture over there. Why? Why? What the heck is going on in England right now? How do you even begin to describe that? We don't have that here for boxing. We need that. Can you can you put it in a syringe and, and send it over to me, and I'll inject it right away? What's going on here, Eddie? Well, we know we can inject it ourselves. I mean, you know, we didn't have that five or six years ago. So, what have we done? You know, what we've done is we've created an experience. We've created a night out. We've made boxing sexy, cool. Again, and you know, we look a lot at the UFC model and look at what they've done and what a great job Dana White has done. That you know, when there's a UFC event, people dress up a little bit smarter. You know, people like to go and listen to the music, people like to have a drink, and people like to watch great sport. So, why can't we do that here? You know, just because it's a different country, you know, we're all human, we all like to enjoy ourselves, we all love to watch great sport. Boxing's been around a long time, and when you get boxing right, for me, it's the greatest sport in the world. So we want to switch it up at the events. We want to make it smarter. We want to bring more women and younger people to the sport of boxing. And if we can do that, I think we can create the same kind of atmospheres that we've created in the UK. So fingers crossed it's going to take some time, but we're here to stay, and we hope we get the support from the U.S. fight fans. Well, we can't wait to see what the future is going to look like if Eddie Hearn continues this run. You'll find out Saturday night, HBO in the States, 10 p.m. Eastern, Daniel Jacobs, Luis Arias in Long Island, New York. Eddie Hearn, it's been a pleasure. I wish you well. We'll talk to you again in the future. I will have my waistcoat ready. Hashtag earn with Hearn. I'm on board with this, bro. All right. We're going to make this, this, we're going to make it happen. All right. Let's do this. Best of luck to you, sir. Thank you. Take care, guys. Now stepping through the ropes on the In This Corner podcast, we've been wanting to talk to this guy for some months on the show. Jarrell, Big Baby Miller, unbeaten heavyweight. You're going to see him Saturday night in Long Island, New York, his HBO debut when he takes on former title challenger Marius Walk. Big Baby, welcome to the program. We wanted to get a taste of this personality of the guy who, I don't know, maybe you have next in the heavyweight division. That's what we want to find out, bro. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm ready, man. 
If you ever heard about Big Baby, you must be sleeping on the rock. The only <laughs> thing that TikTok on the rock is ants and bugs, and I ain't one of them. I'm coming to break some. <laughs> That's what we're talking about right there. Big personality, big puncher, unbeaten record, ready for your close-up. So let's talk about this close-up. Big opportunity for you, HBO. What's on the line here for you in this fight against Walk? I mean, everything is online. Every one of my fights is more important, and it's it's always like a do or die moment. You know what I mean? So you know, it's it's the same thing, different day to tell the truth. You know, I'm just gonna go in there, do what I need to do, get this W, look phenomenal, have fun, show the fans what they've been missing and what the American heavyweight division has been missing. You know, and uh, that's big baby. That's right, Jarrell. Um, Saturday night, are you expecting? You know, I mean, the fight is basically on on your home turf. You know, Long Island. You know, with the LARR ride away from Brooklyn. Um, but there's a big Polish community out there in the Northeast around New York. You think the crowd is going to be, you know, come out uh, and support you, or you think it'll be even? Uh, what are you kind of expecting there? Well, if you guys didn't know, I actually do have a, a pretty decent, good Polish following as well too. So, uh, like I said, I'm not just the, the Brooklyn people champ. I'm I'm the I'm I'm the world champ. So it don't matter who comes out to support. If they were Rock fans before or not, they're going to be my fans at the end of the fight. You know what I mean? Right. But I do have a good Polish following already that I, that I know already. So uh, it doesn't matter. Once it's, once it's behind in the seats, they're going, to be, they're going to be ready for a show. Big Baby, 19-0-1, 17 KOs, eight straight wins via stoppage. You've been on a hot run as sort of a guy to watch. What makes you different in a division that right now is obviously in a great spot? We're talking about it every week. What makes you different that makes you a player against all these other names out there? Because uh, I'm, I'm fun to watch. You know, I, I talk, I have the looks. I do everything good, man. And it's amazing to, to be in the heavyweight division now. But like I say, you know, a lot of these guys have the spotlight on them. And um, they're not really – some of them are producing, but they don't have the full package. I feel like I'm the full package, but I need that one outstanding performance to put me on that superstar level. And um, this is just one step closer to getting there. When you, uh, yeah, Jarrell, I want to ask, uh, you know, I, last weekend we saw, you know, Deontay Wilder make quick work of Bermain Stavern. Uh You had that, that little run-in with Stavern in, at, down at uh, Shannon Briggs' gym in, Fro- in Florida. Um, I, you know, what were your impressions of the fight? Was, could you really take anything out of it, or was it just Stavern probably wasn't, might not have been ready for, for that after a long layoff, and, and, uh, and there wasn't much to, to read into about uh, where Deontay's headed? Yeah, I mean, the main thing is this, man. As you, when you become on those kind of levels in the rankings, you got to be ready for whatever. Or at the same time, you got to be realistic with yourself and don't jump in, don't jump into a fight. Um, Stavron definitely wasn't there to fight. Um, you know, he just wasn't prepared mentally or physically for it. His body looked nowhere near apart and compared to the first fight. And, uh, you know, Deontay did what he had to do. Um, and I was getting him out of there. You know, I gave him an A plus, A minus. He would have had an A plus if he wasn't swinging wildly to take him out. But you know that's that's a wilder fight. He's still wild. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and just what was the story there with with that with, with whatever happened down at, at Briggs's gym in Florida, where you know you you know you you walked in, were you know talking a little bit of trash, and then all of a sudden like like uh, Stavern got very serious. I mean, it's sort of, sort of, and then they wanted you to leave the building. I mean, what 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 happened? My, well, you know, Stavern and another heavyweight prospect were talking, you know, internet smack on all that BS. And I called them out on that. I'm like, listen, don't let me come down to the gym. And they, they made another video talking about if you want some of this work, you come down. So I booked my flight, you know, went down there by myself, and I confronted both of them. I'm like, if we can make this happen, let's get this making work. 
you know, and they want to crack jokes and say funny stuff. But when I crack jokes and say stuff back, Severn want to take it to the next level, which is all good because I prepare for it anyway. But he trying to do it as I turn my back and then jump out, jump off the ring, you know. So anyway, you know, you know, punks do punk stuff, you know what I mean? But that's all it is. You know, the proof is in the pudding. You know, he jumped in the ring unprepared. You know what I mean? That, that's a punk move in my book. If you're going to jump in the ring, you better be ready. You don't jump in there for a check. Wow, wow. This guy put, look at this, this guy. He got, played his own way, got on a plane. It's like, you got a, you got a problem with me? You got words to say to me? The baby's gonna bring it to you. You're gonna have to, you know, you're gonna, don't tease the bag or you're gonna get the mess. That's basically what you're saying. Oh steering. yeah, most definitely, most definitely. I have nothing, I have nothing against all the fighters talking smack. It's part of boxing. It's part of being a fighter. We're life and death. We have to psych ourselves out. We gotta mentally prepare ourselves. So we gotta talk junk to ourselves. Talk. It's part of sport. I love it. I think it's part of sport. But don't do all that stuff and then get in the ring and it's flop. It's one thing for you to get knocked out in the first round and you actually try though and get, and get hit. But for you just to keep your hands up and don't throw anything at all and get knocked out, I mean that's just like making the whole sport look bad. To tell you the truth. Uh- here, I'm getting, I want to get your take on this. So the, the heavyweight is going, division's going through a renaissance. It's fun. There's hungry guys that can bang, that want to fight each other. It's not like five years ago where it's Klitschko and everybody else just trying to get in line. But we don't know, Jarrell, who's for real and who's not. So when you look at the guy right now who's the face of the division, Anthony Joshua, got up off the canvas against Vladimir. You know, like that was a big moment for him. Still kind of vulnerable from your point of view. Yes, he's a star, but is he for real? Is he the guy that's going to be holding this belt for five, ten years to come if you don't get in there yourself and get a chance to take him out? No, no, I definitely don't see him as a guy that's going to hold the belt for five years. Because that's because it's, the minute he starts stepping off a of land, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you an example. <clears throat> Anytime Vladimir Klitschko fought in Germany or in Europe somewhere, he looked phenomenal. The minute he stepped off a European uh, 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 a European soil and just on American soil, he looked like trash. And, you know, it, it proved again when he fought Brian Jennings. Um, the only reason why I feel AJ won that fight, of course, you know, he did win the fight, but, you know, Vladimir Kitschko didn't have that killing instinct in him. His brother told him to take the foot off the gas. He gave AJ three rounds to get back into a fight before he, um, before he was stopped. Now, the minute we get AJ and some good American testing and we get him over here on American soil, I guarantee he's not going to fight the same or he's going to look the same. He's nope. gonna be a totally different person, and he gets in there with a killer like me, who 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 punches way harder than Brian Jennings and comes more forward than Brian Jennings. It's gonna be a different outcome. So I'm trying to say like I'm 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 a totally different fighter. So if Brian didn't have that kind of success against Vladimir, who's not really a hard known as a knockout puncher, you know, and he got hurt and dropped by older Vladimir Kitschko. When Andy gets American Soul, I'm saying one thing: it's gonna be lights out for that guy. What is the re- you know you mentioned guys? Come out, you know, get off the airplane, step on American soil, and it's different. What what makes that different for them? What what are you sort of? I think America, yeah, I think America. We're more strict on certain things. Uh, even if you're a superstar, you know, I think the testing and all the stuff over here is a little is definitely more on your behind with it. And I think because he's a superstar in England, they're they're gonna give him a lot more leniency. Shoot, they gave him the gold medal in the Olympics. We we we, if we, we watched the Olympics when he won. There's uh, three two two out of three fights for sure he lost. And the third one was questionable. You know what I mean? So I mean, they're definitely they're definitely his uh, his hometown favorite, and everybody's rooting for him and, and pulling through for him. But say one thing: once you get in that ring on even playing ground, it's going to be a whole different night for that kid. And Jarrell, I mean, they're talking about you know if you if you beat Walk this weekend, possibly being one of the opponents that 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 could 
you know, fight Anthony Joshua next. Do you think that that fight could happen in the States? I mean, will, will, you know, will, will U.S. promoters be able to get, uh, you know, make a deal with Eddie Hearn and get Anthony Joshua to fight in the, in, in the U.S. when he's making all that money in the U.K.? Yeah, the main thing was you said American if we can get to the American promoter. Well, the only American promoter he really talks to is me. Mm-hmm. If you want to make the fight happen, the American promoter is me. Like I said, I'm my own, I'm my own promoter. The main thing I just go talk to my partner Dimitri, and we hashtag it out and we get it done. And sometimes if he wants to make the fight happen, it's about getting the right team. He did try to set up a pay per view to get the fight done. That's all that is. You know, there's a lot of money in England, but the reason why the reason why America is still the biggest pay per view hit in the world is because it's pay per view. They can put seats. In England, but ain't nothing beating pay per view in America. So I'm trying to say, so we do pay per view in America, we do it right. There's no problem making that money up. The main thing is doing the right way and making everything add up. That's all it is. And if they offer you to fight over there, would you go? Not, not like Anthony Joshua. No, I would not want to fight Anthony Joshua in England. This is, this is a mental aspect of who he is and I know what, he, what they're capable of doing in Europe. It's not, it wouldn't be my first choice. If I had it my last choice, then maybe I would have to do that. But if Dylan White, I definitely go to England with piss behind. No problem. I go anywhere to fight Dylan White. <laughs> So far, what I'm learning from Big Baby is if you got a problem with him, call him. He'll get on the plane and come find you. Or if you want to fight him in a ring, call him. He'll negotiate and promote the fight himself. This is my guy right here, Big Baby Miller. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, man. Listen, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not a people's person. I'm the, I'm the champ. You know what I mean? I'm educated, well, very well, very well spoken, and I understand the sport of boxing inside of the ring. So a lot of these guys are going in there and playing dummy, and then they get beat out of their money. They ain't playing dummy. I'm going to turn you into one, though. <laughs> wow. Well, all right. On the way out here, big, uh, big baby, we could talk to you for hours here, but, uh, you're from Brooklyn. There's a lineage of heavyweight greats from Brooklyn. I mean, all I have to say is names like Tyson and Bo. Like, it just doesn't get any better than that. What's in the water? What's going on in that borough there, brother? That, this, that, that another guy in line from Brooklyn is saying, I got next and I, I can bring it. I'm a badass. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I mean, of course, it's all part of it, you know. You come from the roots. You have guys you look up to that that kind of like set it in stone already, you know. So you got to kind of follow in those footsteps and kind of pave your own way as well. Um, like I said, I never ran and never will. You know what I mean? And that's how my mentality been before I even started boxing, and I continue to do that throughout life and everything else I I, I take head on. But you know, uh, these guys are they, they they're overlooking me. They don't want to say my name because they know the minute they start, once I get to a certain point, they can't run ahead no more. They're gonna have to fight me. You know, um, these guys call other guys out and they're giving them shine. Cause, you know, the easy, the easier, the easier fights. They call Takam, you know, Takam is an easier pickup. You know, they, they know that big baby getting it. I'm coming in, I'm coming in there ready, rock and roll. I, there's some fights where I was coming in last minute and I wasn't 100%, but I still went, I look, I look like new money. So imagine now when I had a full <laughs> training camp, what's it going to look like? Exactly. Uh, Big Baby, I want to ask you, uh, you know, I mean, sort of one of the things that that's that fans like about watching you fight is that, you know, you're you're a big man, but you you're sort of flexible, quick move and active like a like a smaller guy, which you don't see. You know, a lot of athletes can't really pull that off. What is you know, what's what do you have like in your head an ideal weight size that you that you want to come in for in, in each fight? Or is it just sort of whatever feels right? Yeah, I mean, when I was younger, I always thought about being like a, a heavyweight Arnold Schwarzenegger. But we we know that uh, <laughs> we, we know we know we know that uh, Anthony Joshua kind of took that to a whole other level. And I see how he performs. And I don't want that. So I kind of want to be like a six foot four version of Mike Tyson. You know, I want to be mm-hmm. nice and lean. I want to have some cuts, but I don't want to be over overdone. You know, like AJ's overdone. You know, he doesn't look like a boxer. He looks like something totally different. And if you watch he, watch how he fights, he doesn't fight like a boxer. He fights like a very stiff. 
um, robotic European amateur. You know what I mean? So like I said before, I'm totally, I'm something totally different. I go to the body. I got I got the best jab in heavyweight division, and I got some. I got the best punches in heavyweight division, and soon I'm gonna have the best right hand. And everything else to come with it. It's a matter of time. All right, Gerald. We'll see the next step in the process. Saturday night, HBO, the co-main event, Marius Walk. This dude's big, six seven and a half. But the but the big guys tend to fall hard. We will see what happens. Best of luck to you. Very much looking to looking forward to see your future, my friend. All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate it, guys. Wow, Rafe. Wow, Eddie. Rafe, if we can learn one thing from this interview, and you got to be really honest with me, but I think I'm right on here. Eddie Hearn is ropes approved. He would hang with us. He would, he would get a pint with these top blokes right here. You know what I'm saying? He's not an Ivy League guy. I think I can trust, I'd buy a used car from him. All right. It's long been my contention, and we know this here, that we have no chance with Eddie Hearn. He's just, he's just, you know, from a different crust. However, I'm starting, I'm starting, that, that facade of mine is starting to crack. Yes. I don't know if I can hold, cause, I mean, First thing in that interview, right out of the gate, you know, you, you mentioned your waistcoat and he's like, hey, by the way, I'm looking at you on a video feed right now. You ain't wearing no waistcoat. <laughs> I, I, see, I see some like some some corny ass farmer plaid. <laughs> However, you sold it to you sold it to Eddie and he bought it like any good like like, you, you know, you have a future in promoting yourself. And he was like, oh, waistcoat. Let's have a drink together. You're my guys. So he he's he he's starting to make me a believer. I'm I'm surprised, but uh, hey, I would uh I would gladly get that drink with him and you know Darren Barker and all the and Carl Frotch, oh. the Cobra, all those guys. You know, Bro. I mean, just just line them up and and uh, you know start start down on those pints. How did we not bring up that Barker story? I just I guess I didn't want to cry on the air. You know, that's probably why. <laughs> I mean, what a what a story. What a time to be alive. Um, interesting stuff. I, uh, you know, he, he says the wilder people never reached out to him ever. That's an interesting nugget because that is a whole like issue of this back and forth between him and wilders people. I listened to the, uh, the boxing voice podcast where they actually got wilder to call in and then got Shelly Finkel and then got wilder to call Shelly Finkel and put him on the line. Oh. And, and they're having this back and forth about, no, did you call? I didn't call. He called me first. Oh, but he didn't ask me for real. I mean, wow. I, hey, shout out to Nestor Gibbs, my man, Nestor. For pulling that off on the air, yeah. Though. Look, they're making you know it sort of set up a really nice little tete a tete there between them. Um, tita tete, uh, yeah, tita tete. Um, <laughs> but it, it's still we, there's no. I, can we get to the bottom of it? No. I mean, I just assume that whatever anyone says about the actual business technicalities of, of this stuff in public is not true. Okay. Okay. It could be true. It could be true. I mean, you know. I think he's right on where he's going. I like what he said. You don't want to wait too long. You don't want to make it too soon. It's kind of right where we were. He's going to make it late next year. He kind of saw I, – I believe him, Rafe. All right? If he says that fight is happening in 2018, I, I don't think you could find too many fans who would really complain about that. You know, that is definitely not a the way that – you know, the way that Canelo Triple G went, went on for two and a half years. Yeah, yeah. No doubt about it. All right. He's got that card this weekend. I believe – uh I don't think this is his debut HBO card. This may be his debut HBO card as the lead promoter, right? Unless it was. That, I believe uh... it is. Yeah, no, this is this is this is the big one. All right. Well, like we mentioned, Daniel Jacobs is his key, his first, you know, pawn, his first peg move in, in this chess match to try to make a mark in America. I thought it was a good pickup because if if Jacobs gets by this opponent this weekend. Like, it makes sense that he's in line to fight the winner of the Triple G Canelo rematch. Or if they don't do a rematch for whatever reason, he's the guy to pick up right there. Or maybe he can get in there with David Lemieux or whatever. Like, he's in a great spot. Smart move by him. Facing unbeaten Luis, Luis Cuba Arias. Now, uh, 
don't know if it's Luis or Lewis, I believe. Either way, Rafe, to just a little background on him, he was originally a uh, money team guy, and he turned his back on Floyd and basically left the whole promotion and the situation. I believe he's with Rock Nation now. That's what Eddie was saying. Good up-and-coming guy, not on the Danny Jacobs level. This feels like that set-up, you know, kind of showcase opportunity. What do you? What feeling are you getting here for Jacobs? Absolutely, and it is a showcase opportunity. It's intended to be a showcase, uh, but one that they tried to make competitive. Like they didn't want the full-on Rod Salka treatment, which you, you know, I hope, I hope no one ever has to experience that again. Most of all, Rod Salka. Um, <laughs> but. There is, you know, I think there's, I, I don't know, I, I don't know if I'm just trying to talk myself into being interested in the actual fight here, but it, there's a little bit of a trap fight, uh, you know, trap fight feeling uh, going into this for Jacobs where, you know, now he's the guy, he's got, you know, a, a big British promoter coming over and saying, you're num- you're the first, uh, you know, test case in my American takeover uh, and, and really pumping it up and giving him that, like, a level, you know, like, like top billing that he never quite has had all to himself before. You know, he had great management and promotion. He had like, you know, near and was paid well, but he was never really pushed. You know, he wasn't getting that push. He wasn't getting that, that WWE style push to the top of the card thing that now he's there and he's supposed to look good and justify what we think now that he's kind of the third guy in this Canelo triple G Jacobs, you know, yes. best middleweight triumvirate. Um, but, Ari, Luis Arias looked pretty good when beating Arif Magomedov, uh, a few, whatever earlier this year. Uh, he, he, you know, he washed that guy and that guy looked like he might be decent until then. So there's a little bit of trap fight potential. And, and, you know, we've seen Danny Jacobs get knocked down by Sergio Mora. We've seen some weird things happen with him before. So I, I, you know, I, maybe I'm just trying to inject a little intrigue, but that there is a, uh, there's, I sense a little bit of danger. Wow, wow. A nice shout out on Arif Magomedov from Russia though. I thought he was from I was a little bit off. Yeah, look, this is an opportunity for Jacobs to have that showcase. Hopefully Luis Arias gives him gives him a fight, pushes him all of that good stuff. That co main that we talked about with Big Baby Miller against the uh caveman, Mariuso Waka Waka. Uh op- this it's almost the same thing, Rafe. His HBO debut, it's a showcase opportunity. He's going to be in there with a durable guy, though. That's really the best thing you could say about Wok. Went the distance, although he was on steroids against Vlad, <laughs> and got knocked out by Meldonium Head. Uh, Povietkin, so it's probably like served him well. It was like a good balance. Like I was on roids in one fight and somebody else knocked me out on roids in the other. Maybe everybody's on roids, Rafe, and we just don't. Just know maybe. It. You never know. What do you feel yeah. on this fight? What about this one, Jarrell? I mean, look, this we we're way. Big Baby Miller had talks a great game. We talked to him a few minutes ago. He's cracking us up, calling himself Schwarzenegro, um, <laughs> which is insane. <laughs> I mean, uh, we got to get that soundbite. Oh wow! Uh, you know, so he, he, you know, he's got a lot going for him. He's fun to listen to. He's fun to watch. He's what, what I've liked about him is for a guy that big, uh, you know, he's active. He's he's a fighter. He's not just a converted football player uh you know he had a kickboxing background before he 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 went over full-time into boxing so and and just you know a guy that big that can have that kind of output over over eight ten rounds you know is pretty impressive and 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 fun to watch uh so hopefully he'll he'll look good and 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 sort of inject his name as maybe one of these guys that 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 uh wilder or joshua will, will will look at fighting early next year before 
they finally, you know, look towards matching up with each other. And walk, they end up finding out a really hard lesson that you have to learn in boxing. Hey, that black guy, he hits hard. I mean, come on, we're better. We're better than that. We're better than that soundbite right there. Rafe, uh, the other televised fight is uh, lightweight, unbeaten, 20-0, Cletus Selden, the Hebrew Hammer. Yes! Going to fight Roberto Ortiz. I will not ask your opinion on that fight, Rafe, but you can enjoy it all you want. You can follow us on Twitter at B. Campbell CBS, at Rafe Books. Hey, guys, slide in, right? A DM season is just wide open. Let your voice be heard. We will answer your questions on the air. Buy Rafe's book if you like to read, Rafe. That is McSorley's two and two. I'm sorry, McSorley's, my dad and me. Is that what we're calling it these days? That's all. Yeah, we're still using that title for now. You know, once you once you settle on a title for a book, you want to you stick with it. All right, all right. That's, we're on a good run there. I have it. It's fantastic. It'll, it'll, it'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. And hopefully one day you'll be seeing it on TV with uh, Remy from Higher Learning playing you, potentially. Oh, my God. Jeez. Uh, uh, hopefully someone a bit younger, you know. Yeah. Uh, shouts to Mike Rappaport. He's a little long in the tooth yes. to play the young Ray Boots. <laughs> Them teeth are long. That was a bad reference right there. Uh, special shout out and thanks to our guests, promoter Eddie Hearns, heavyweight Big Baby Miller. Two words for the people, Rafe. We out.